Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. It is my distinct honor to now welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe Source, in his continuance of Exodus. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Let's give it up for her. That's not an easy thing to do. Amen. How are we doing tonight? Good. You blessed? Amen. You got up this morning? We're walking around. We're breathing. Amen. We're doing a whole lot better than some people are, right? Thank God. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his word. So we're continuing in the book of Exodus. And what I want you to know, I kind of caught myself when I was putting my notes, refreshing myself with my notes today, that we're not doing this in chronological order. We're not just starting like in chapter one and going all the way through. We're going to be bouncing back and forth because what I want to do in this study is to, is to concentrate and focus on the principles that we can learn from the book of Exodus. Remember, we've been talking about this, that the book of Exodus, if you haven't been here, um, I, I, I hope that you'll take the time to really go uh, online, go to our website, and go to the archives and listen to the Wednesday night messages for the past month or so, month and a half. Um, I guess it's about a month and a half since we started the series. And um, this way you can get kind of caught up on where we're at. Here's my basic message from this book. The book of Exodus, the Exodus story, is our story. Okay, when you read the book of Exodus as a believer, you start to realize, you start seeing some patterns. You start seeing some, some types and shadows. You start seeing some, some, some things that look very familiar, such as the book of Exodus tells us a story about God's people escaping from slavery, uh, being redeemed out from under the taskmaster, uh, Pharaoh, be coming out of a place of darkness, a place of suffering, a place where idolatry was, was rampant, and coming into the path to the promised land. Okay, we talked about the promised land, about being um, this place that God prepares for us, but there's also some battles there. Okay, some, some of you might have been raised in, in a denomination or a church background where they taught you that the promised land is in heaven. And we know that can't be possible because in heaven, there's no giants, there's no walls, there's no battles to fight, there are no enemies. So, so the promised land cannot be heaven. What is the promised land? The promised land is our life on this earth as a believer. So we come out, when, when you and I experience the whole uh, being born again, the Bible tells us that we were baptized in Christ. That's a type and shadow of coming through the Red Sea. God sent the deliverer. Amen. His name was Moses, right? But God, but Moses was a type and shadow of the deliverer that was going to come in the future. In fact, Moses himself said, one of these days, somebody like me is going to show up. Listen to him. Amen. Listen to him. All right. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, they start seeing the similarities. Moses is the deliverer. Jesus is the deliverer. Egypt represents the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. Pharaoh himself is a type and shadow of Satan. So God's people coming out from under the influence of the kingdom of darkness, coming out from under the influence of this, this satanic ruler and coming into a place of freedom is, is exactly what you and I experienced when we got born again. Is that me or you? What's going on here? It's me? Okay. All right. So I want you to see the similarities. Our Red Sea, the Red Sea is a type and shadow of our new birth experience. We go in and we come out the other side, a different person. Amen? Uh, the journey in the promised land or to the promised land, promised land. I believe, I believe with all my heart that they come to a place where they need to cross over now, crossing over the Jordan, where before they crossed over the Red Sea. And of course, there's a 40-year time period in between there, you know? So when they come up to this place of Jericho, uh, at, at, Jordan, at the Jordan, there's a Jericho. There's a city that's blocking their way. They've got to conquer that. They've got to become empowered. God gives them a strategy in what to do, and they come up, and once they conquer that, 
Once they take possession of Jericho, they are now free to possess their promised land. And that is like a type and shadow. Listen to me clearly. That is like a type and shadow of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Red Sea is our born-again experience. The Jericho experience, the Jordan experience, coming through that is like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you have not experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet, you need to experience that. It's something that Jesus went in depth to explain. You can go read in John chapter 7, John chapter 8, okay? He talks about what the disciples would receive in their future. Of course, it's our past, all right? So what happened? Once they cross the Jordan, they now become empowered to take the promised land. Once Jesus said to the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my father, which he said, you have heard me speak of. In other words, what was he saying to them? You're, you're born again because remember, they got born again Easter Sunday night, resurrection Sunday night when he, they received the spirit of God. So they're prepared for heaven, but they're not prepared for earth. Are you catching this? So we could be born again, and, and our born again experience prepares us to go to heaven. But the born again experience alone, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're not empowered yet to live on this earth. You need the power. Why? Because on this earth, we have giants. We have Jericho walls. We have enemies. And I'm not talking about people. We have an enemy who hates us. Amen. We've been talking about that on Sundays. All right? So I want you to understand all the similarities. The reason why we're discussing the book of Exodus is so that we would become empowered even further by seeing what God did in the past through his people and what God is now doing at this age in your life, you being God's people. Amen? Amen. All right. So let me just go through this real quick. And I can see this ain't going to work. Uh, I'm Italian. Uh, Thank you, Father, for no distractions tonight in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You're going to tie me one hand behind my back with that thing. I'll take it, but I don't want to use it. Come put me back on here. Hallelujah. How are we doing now? Can you hear me now? Yes. Good. All right. So in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses. Now he's 80 years old. Most people, most people just glaze over that fact. The guy's 80 years old when he just gets started. I said the guy was 80 years old when he just gets started. And anybody over 50 should have went, Hallelujah. We still got a chance. <laughs> so he spent the last 40 years as a shepherd. Now, that's a very humbling experience for somebody who was raised in Pharaoh's palace, who was educated by the finest of the kingdom. And we know from outside of biblical resources, we know if you read the historian Josephus, he talks in detail about Moses' career about how Moses was the commander-in-chief of Egypt's armies when they defeated the Ethiopians, how Moses was a skilled engineer, okay? We don't see that stuff. We, we, we want, we, you know, in our minds, he's just a shepherd. No, no, no. This is a man who we would say today was top guy on Wall Street, gets tossed out of that whole environment through his own fault. You remember he murdered an Egyptian, so he has to flee. He's got to flee Egypt. He goes to what's called the backside of the desert, was pretty much as far as he could get away from Egypt walking, okay? And so now he spends 40 years in another ministry altogether in raising sheep, and that's where God taught him how to be a shepherd because he's, gonna, he's going to spend his last 40 years on this earth actually shepherding God's people. So he spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years becoming a nobody, and then 40 years finding out what God could do with a nobody. You listening? So, he has not yet fulfilled his calling, but he has become very accustomed to the simple life. Remember, he's gone from, he's gone from the very complicated life in the palace to spending 40 years in the desert raising sheep, 
caring for his father-in-law's flocks. He's got a wife. He's got two sons. He's gotten used to the food. He's gotten used to the life, living in a tent or whatever. And so now God's got to shake him out of this thing because just like us, you go through, you go through hardship. You might go through challenges. You go through crisis. You come out of it. Maybe you're not doing as good as you used to do, but you know what? Things stabilize. And so now you become tolerant of the stability, and that stability becomes a trap and now becomes a comfort zone that God sometimes has to shake you out of in order to get you moving. Amen? Amen. So he's about to find out that although he doesn't realize it, he is just ready now to step into the purpose that God had for him. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. In other words, the bush was on fire, but it was not destroyed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Could you picture this? Moses going, I shall now turn aside. Because remember, when he writes this down, it is many years later, and he's recalling what he must have been thinking. But let's be honest with each other. If you're minding your own business one day, and you walk out in your backyard, and all of a sudden your azalea bushes burst in flames, <laughs> but it's not being consumed, I'm sure you're going to stand there and go, oh, I shall now turn aside and see this wonderful sight. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now that here I am is more, we say here I am or, you know, but it was more a declaration on his part. I am here at your service. Are you catching this? Okay. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. So I want to talk to you tonight about lessons from the burning bush. Verse 5, as soon as God gets his attention, gets Moses' attention, he says to him, do not draw near this place. Take sandals off your feet, for this place where you stand is holy ground. Why would he tell him to take his sandals off? What profession is he serving in right now? Shepherd. Do I have to get graphic? Shepherd, wandering through the pasture. Trying to dodge the sheep pies. Representative of the filth of this world. Representative of him leaving behind now this type of work, not bringing that less than reverential part of his, his life into the presence of God. There's always something you're going to step out of in order to step into what God has for you. Are you listening? It's, it's going to be the filth of this world it's going to be the corruption of this world. It's going to be maybe the self-reliance that you picked up in this world because this world system forces you to become self-protective, forces you to become a survivor, forces you to become inward, forces you to not trust anybody else, forces you to try to scheme and try to make things happen, to be manipulative, and that stuff can't exist in the kingdom of God. Amen. So, so this representation is symbolic. Take those sandals off. You can't bring that here. Now think about it, okay? Think about it. Now, now we look back and we know the story. Most of us know the story. And you know, I'll give you as much detail as you possibly can. Moses now starts to take on the same kind of role. Man, I'm just realizing this as I'm talking. He starts now being called into the same type of role that Abraham was. Abraham, see, we, we, we think Abraham got rich when he met God. Abraham was already rich when God called him. 
but God wanted to make him rich by the kingdom standards, not by Abraham's, Abram's standards. And if you look at Abram's life, in early on when God starts dealing with him, he's a conniver, he's a liar, he's a manipulator, he's, he's just... He's, he's got some edges that need to be sharpened, he, uh, excuse, softened. He's got some ways about him that he picked up being a, a, a merchant, being a businessman in the world, in his world of Ur of the Chaldees, a trader, I don't mean a betrayer, I mean trading goods, uh, raising flocks, earning a living that way. We, we know that he had wealth. We know because he brought people with him when he left Ur of the Chaldees and went into, I'm going to bust this microphone tonight. Do I really have to use the handheld mic? All right, we're good. We're good? Okay. So where was I? So Moses is now getting put into position like Abram was. Abram was probably very self-sufficient when he was a businessman in Ur of the Chaldees. He's a leader. He knows how to rally people. He knows how to organize people. He knows how to make money. Okay? Um, Moses comes out of a similar lifestyle. Let's face it, he's raised in the palace. Uh, his, his normal surroundings are of opulence, of just wealth, of just, I mean, I doubt very much if he, if he, if he was uh, lacking in anything that he needed to live. Uh, probably had servants that, that were just assigned to him. And now he's got to come out of that, spends 40 years to get that stuff washed out of his system. You, you listening? 40 years. We think sometimes, oh, God, when, you know, when am I going to change? I'm still doing the same things. Calm down. He's working on you. Now, hopefully it won't take 40 years, but, but, but he's working on you. Okay? You're, at least you're heading in the right direction. Okay? So now Moses now, now becomes the man that's really got to trust God. I mean, what's he going to tell people? Imagine the conversation with him and his father-in-law. Listen, I got to put in my notice. I have to go back to Egypt. Why? What happened? Well, I was outside and a bush started talking to me. You know, we don't think about these things. We just think, well, because it's in the Bible. It's just, this, this had to be a very dramatic experience for Moses. He's lived the life. He's lived the glamour. He's been the one in control. He's been the one that had everything tied up neatly for himself. And then he's got to go and learn an entirely new profession. By the way, Egyptians despise shepherds. You know, you read the Bible and you think that Pharaoh did a great thing when the, when the Israelites finally come to Egypt you know, 430 years before Moses, uh, you know, Pharaoh says to, his, says to Joseph, the second in command in the kingdom, we're going to give your family the finest lands where they can raise their sheep. In other words, go far from us. Go up north where there's good pasture land. Raise your sheep. They did not like shepherds. They did not like this. In fact, if you remember Joseph's story, when Joseph's brothers come, uh, in order for, for Joseph, who now has been living as an Egyptian, to uh, actually have lunch uh, with his brothers, the brothers are set up in a separate room with separate tables because the Egyptian servants would have thought, wow, this is weird. He's eating with shepherds because, again, they thought the profession of a shepherd was like the lowest thing you could possibly. Now, remember, Moses is raising that culture. For 40 years, that's all he's known is Egyptian culture. And now he's reduced to what was despised in his previous life. Some of us walked around when we met other born-again Christians when we, before we were saved, and we looked down on them. Come on. I remember me, you know, I thought every born-again Christian was either a drug addict, a murderer, or... or because you, you figure, well, it had to be that bad for you to turn to that. How many had to eat those words just like me? Yeah. So, so the thing that you despise in your former life, you now have to live in order to get that junk out of your system. So for 40 years, he's got to get this junk out of his system. But now he's gotten, he's gotten used to it now. He's gotten comfortable. 
And God's got to shake them. And so the first thing that God's going to teach Moses, which is the first thing that you and I need to implement in our lives if we're going to do anything serious for God, God teaches him reverence. Take off those shoes. Remove those sandals. Why? This is the beginning of you now separating yourself from your former life onto this new life. Are you listening? Are you catching this? And isn't it amazing how some of the first things that impact us, I know for me, from my experience when I became a believer, was that reverence of coming to a church and standing up and lifting my hands and worshiping God. And I spent the first six months on rinse cycle. Every time I went to church, I'd sob and cry with my hands raised because I realized this God who I never knew, who I thought I knew, saved my life. I would be nowhere if it wasn't for him. I, stand up, everybody. Let's practice that right now. Just, just lift at least one arm up and just, just start to thank him yourself. Go right ahead. Don't, you don't have to follow me. You don't have to copy me. Father, we bless you tonight. We worship you, Adonai. We bless you, God. We lift our hands up to you in gratitude and thanksgiving, and we declare holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We worship you tonight, Father. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you, God, for your presence in our lives. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for, for, for taking us off the slave block and just bringing us into a place of freedom, God. You're so awesome to us. Thank you. Thank you. Now, come on, church. Thank you. Thank you. We bless you, Father. We honor you tonight. We give you the glory, the praise. All thanksgiving is yours, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessing and glory and honor are yours, Father. Glory to your holy name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Praise God. You can be seated. That felt good. <laughs> Reverence for Moses is the first step into this new reality of his life. Experiencing the presence of God. And people who experience God's presence are those who understand the holiness of God. And his desire for us to live separate from the filth of our old life. Separate, separate. And in this journey through life, we, just like Moses, are growing in our awareness of God. And our awareness. I was sharing with a few people before service, and I found myself mentioning this in one of the services last weekend, that uh, in 2020, I think one of the first things I'm going to attempt to do, if the Holy Spirit gives me the green light, is to teach on being God-inside-minded. Do we understand what that means? You, you realize he's with you. You realize when you leave here tonight and go home, he's going to still be with you. You don't leave him in this room. In fact, you brought his presence with you when you came in. That's what makes this place special. It's not the walls. It's not the carpet. It's not this. There are, there are brothers and sisters all over the world that are meeting in caves, meeting in rice paddies, hiding in basements. Yet the presence of God is there. Why? Because God's people were there. And you and I are carriers, just like the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. We are carriers. Paul said we are temples of the Holy Ghost. He dwells in us. He doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. Are you listening? Now, let me ask you a question. How different would your life be if we were constantly aware of the fact that the presence of Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the most high God, lives inside of us? Talk about a restrainer from the things of this world. Talk about a restrainer to help us in times of temptation. I think that maybe the, God bless you, the way of escape that's promised to us in the word may be that, be that awareness of the presence of God in our lives. Amen? So remember that this Exodus story is our story. 
And the more we are aware of his presence, I'm sure that Moses, when he got home that day, his wife had to see something different on him. His children noticed something different on him. Maybe the other workers and the servants that served alongside him had to notice a difference in him. Why? He's been in the presence of God. He's been in the presence of God. And we are being formed more and more into the image of Christ by his spirit and by his word. It's the spirit and the word working together. The spirit and the word working together. Would you say that, please? The spirit and the word working together. His words are dry on a page unless the Holy Spirit reveals them to you. And as you begin, as you, as you, as you begin to spend time being aware of God's presence, you start to open up the Bible, and all of a sudden the words are different. They're clearer. They're, they're, they're meaningful. They have life to them. And that's how we are transformed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Again, we're talking about this becoming more and more formed in the image of Christ by his spirit and through the word. But we're also talking about, as Moses was told to take those sandals off, separating ourselves from the filth, separating ourselves, not bringing any of that junk into this relationship with our Father in heaven. Amen? Amen. You listening? Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I love the way that says it. Lurking within you. Lurking within you. Did you ever go through a season of life and all of a sudden you, 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 you've done something wrong? You're thinking of something you shouldn't think about. You, you're speaking something in a way that you shouldn't be speaking. Maybe you're using language that you shouldn't be using or, or it's coming out with an attitude of, of just hate or something. And then you, you, you literally come to yourself and go, man, I didn't realize I still had any of that in me. I, I guess I'm the only one. You, you, what happened? What happened? Exactly. That, that thing is lurking. It's lurking. It's, it's trying to hide so that it can pop out whenever you're not, you don't realize it, but it's lurking there. And so, and so the Spirit of God, through the Apostle Paul, gives us instruction, so put to death. Who is going to put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you? Now, would he give us a command to do something that we're not capable of doing? Absolutely not. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Oh, is he going to go there tonight? <laughs> and we're so surrounded and so bombarded by sexual temptation. I, we've been dealing with this subject on uh, Tuesday mornings. Uh, we have a Bible study here that I'm privileged to, to kind of oversee. And for the past month and a half, we've been dealing with the subject of sin and subject of the mechanics of sin and how it works. And we've been talking about how, you know, years and years ago, decades, a few decades ago, you had to go looking for sin. Now sin comes looking for you. You get on your phone, you get on your computer, you get on the television. It's like no, there's no safe territory anymore. It can pop up at any time. And if you're not prepared, once those images get lodged in your mind, it's very difficult to dislodge them. It's very difficult to unsee them. So the, the, we're, we're, we're admonished here, we're encouraged. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. He said, have nothing to do with them. As much as is possible, flee from that stuff. Amen? Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, the New Living Translation, if you have that translation, has a period at the end of that sentence, but the new King James continues. And let me read it to you the way it is from the original language. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Are you a son of disobedience? Not if you're born again. Not if you're born again, okay? But that doesn't mean that we still should not flee from sexual immorality. It doesn't mean just because we're not subject to the wrath of God anymore because of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we should engage in any kind of conduct. Amen? In fact, the whole motivation changes in the New Testament. I went looking for this, and, I, and, I, and I'm not throwing a challenge down out of arrogance or pride or anything. I just want to make sure I got this thing right. But throughout the epistles, you know, the letters that were written to the churches, which are, which are written exclusively and specifically to believers. 
Every time either Paul or Peter or John says, don't do this, it's never don't do this so you don't go to hell. He says, don't do this so that the name of God is not blasphemed among the Gentiles. It's a whole different incentive. It's a whole different motivation. It's, he doesn't say, don't get involved with sexual morality because you're going to go to hell. He's saying, don't get involved with sexual morality because then the Gentiles are going to say, what kind of God do you have? Or what kind of person are you? Well, why should I listen to you about this Messiah when you're living worse than me? And of course, nobody in this room would do that, but you might know somebody. And he goes on to say, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior. So what are we talking about? We're talking about getting the sandals off our feet. It's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You imagine he'd have to say that to Christians. Imagine he would have to say that to Christians. Don't lie to one another. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked, de wicked deeds. Now, now watch this now. I realize this. Now, this letter is written to us as believers in the church age. Moses, watch this now. God says to Moses, first thing God says to Moses when he got his attention, take off those sandals. We're told in the New Testament, put off the old man. But watch this now. In the New Testament, we were told to put on the new man. Moses didn't have a new man to put on yet. Watch. Moses could only put off. You catching this? Moses could only put off. Moses, just like Abram, had to live his life in faith towards the one who would come someday. You, you catching this? See, the Holy Spirit could not abide on Moses. The Holy Spirit could not abide on Abraham. We have the Holy Spirit. We have no reason whatsoever to live the old life and continue living the old life. Why? Because not only do we have the ability to put off, but we also have the ability to what? We got it made in this dispensation. I hope this is helping you tonight. We have our new nature in Christ, which allows us to put off the old and put on the new. In verse 10 of that same Colossians chapter 3. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slaver free. Christ, wow, this is good. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. Here it is again. Who's going to do the clothing? We are. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's fault. To make allowance means you have to take proactive, a proactive stance. You make a decision ahead of time that whoever you're in relationship, take into consideration and take, just make it a settled issue in your heart. That person is going to mess up one day. Guess what? You're going to mess up one day, maybe multiple times a day. So he's saying, we, look, this, is, this is a given. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to hurt each other's feelings. We're all going to offend one another. So take that in consideration ahead of time. And so make allowance. What's an allowance? Isn't an allowance a, a sum of something that you get to set aside for when you need it? So he's saying, consider yourself to put a deposit of grace, a deposit of forgiveness aside that you can tap into like an account. So that when we mess up, 
When you pass by me in the lobby, and I, I don't, I'm not smiling because I got a million things on my mind, that you go, okay, I got to dip into the account for pastor and make allowance for his faults. And so there's only one of me, and there's a whole lot more of you. So imagine the size of my account. You catching this? Where was I? Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said. You don't know how they treated me. No, I don't. And honestly, it really doesn't matter. Because we've been forgiven much. And therefore, we're commanded to forgive much. How many times must I forgive my brother? Peter said, Peter said. Seven times per incident. Because some of us are looking to fill that card up. I'm almost there. I'm at 489. Give me one more dirty look and I'm justified. God loves us so much, he doesn't want anything to hinder us from experiencing the reality of his presence. And listen to me, church, please. You can't experience the fullness of the presence of God if you're so full with the presence of you. And when we get offended, and when we get our feelings hurt, and when we get wounded, we're not thinking about how to benefit anybody else. We're thinking, number one, how am I going to get back at them? Number two, Everybody should feel sorry for me because look at what I've been through. So it's one or the other. You're either going to be filled with the presence of God or you're going to be filled with the presence of you. Or if you're in unforgiveness, you're filled with the presence of the person who sinned against you. You have to let it go in order to experience the fullness of the presence of God. You got to let it go. You got, just think about Jesus. I, I, I tell you, just the, the wonder of the example that he has set. I read the Gospels and I see how he interacted with his enemies and I think to myself, I don't know how he did it. Especially knowing that he had the power to nuke every single one of them. And many times it says he just, and he walked through the crowd and nobody would dare touch him. But you know, you know, if it was you and me, we'd be walking through the crowd going, man, if God would just let me. If God would just let me, I would let the ground open up right now, swallow you and everybody in your household and everything, you, everything with your name on it, your social security number would disappear forever. Don't look at me like that. You'd do the same thing. You would do the same thing. God's will for every believer is sanctification. That's why the first thing he told Moses, you will not bring that into the presence of the reality of the future of your life. You are going to leave that outside. There was a precedent-setting moment. And God was calling not only Moses, but Moses' people to holiness to sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? To be set apart for a special use. You listening to me? To be set apart for special use. Just like that china that you got sitting in the closet for 50 years. It's sanctified. It's set apart. You're still waiting for that special day. You're going to use it. But it's not common, right? It's not common. You don't take those beautiful china a soup bowls and put them out for your kids to have cereal in the morning so they can sit there and clang on that with the spoon, chip them all up. Yes or no? They are what? Sanctified, set apart for special use. Could, could we possibly see ourselves that way? And I don't, I'm not promoting this for us to see ourselves that way so we get the big head, but that we would understand that it costs the blood of Jesus the suffering that he endured on the cross 
the suffering that he endured at the hands of the Romans to bring you to the place where his blood sanctifies you, sets you apart. Are you listening? The gratitude that we should have. But, but it even serves a greater purpose. That purpose of no. Just like I wouldn't pull out that fine china, expensive soup bowl to just have a dish of chocolate chip mint ice cream. I have, that is set apart for a better use, a greater use. So watch this now. So when temptation comes, when temptation comes, when the opportunity to, to endure filth and bring filth into our lives comes, we should say, no, no, I'm worth more than that. I was paid with an with a, with a, with a, with a exorbitant price. I've been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not common. Turn to somebody. I am not common. And, and look, and in case you think you're something special, and it is not because of me, watch this now, it is because of the price that's been attached to me, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's God's will for every believer to be sanctified and to live in holiness, separateness, separateness. Holiness does not mean you walk around with your nose up in the air. Holiness does not mean that you go around telling anybody what you don't do. I don't do that. I don't do that. <laughs> holiness is separate. You have purpose in your life. And that purpose is to reflect the glory of God, to distribute, watch this now, to distribute the love of God. We are vessels Vessels, vessels, vessels are only good for one thing, pouring out. A vessel has no purpose unless it's pouring something out. It's not, it's not a Tupperware container, it's a vessel. A Tupperware container, you snap the top, you let the air out so that nothing can come out. We are not called to be that. We are called to be vessels of honor, to pour out God's glory, to pour out God's love, to pour out God's forgiveness, to pour out God's abundance. I'm going to listen to this myself after tonight. This is good. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 5. I hope you're writing this stuff down. This is good stuff. The Apostle Paul now is praying over this church at Thessalonica. In this letter, he reveals how he's praying. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace. That doesn't translate good. Watch this now. May the God of shalom, the God of wholeness, the God that makes you intact, the God that fills in all the things that are missing, the God that keeps you together, the God that if something's missing, he'll replace it with something better. He said, may that God himself sanctify you, set you apart completely. May your whole, watch this now, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in case you didn't believe it, verse 24 says, he who calls you is what? Faithful. Faithful. He has called you is what? You better learn that term and better learn it good because when Jesus comes back, guess what's written on his leg? Faithful and true. Who will also do it. All he requires is our cooperation. Cooperation. Some of us generally, some of us generally would be justified to say, with all the stuff that had been exposed to in my life, with all the stuff that's been done to me in my life, with all the stuff that I've endured through my life, it's extremely difficult for me to stay away from that stuff. There's, there's many, many people could say that. But it's not impossible for God. And he's not expecting you to do it on your own. He knows it's impossible for you to do it on your own. So he's willing to sanctify you completely. Watch. Spirit, soul, and body. That's complete. That is a complete man. That is a complete woman. Spirit, soul, body. And it's in that order for a reason. Because the first part about you that got sanctified was your spirit. Amen. And honestly, it's not even fair to say your spirit. It is who you really are. We are spirit. We possess a soul. And they live in a body. We usually pay attention to the opposite order. Flesh, soul, 
and spirit. But God always puts the priorities in the right order. Spirit. When you got born again, your spirit got sanctified. When you got born again, your spirit was sealed by the Holy Ghost. Perfect in the sight of God. Your soul is that area of your life that needs to be programmed. Your flesh is a dummy that's going to follow whichever the force is stronger. If you yield to your spirit, your flesh, your body, your carnal nature is going to have an easier time to follow the word of God and walk in the love of God. But if you spend more time feeding your fleshly appetites, your soul is going to, is going to go in that direction. Your mind, your will, your emotions. You listening? Look, this is where, we, this is where our battle is. If you are born again, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit's living inside you, you don't have a spiritual problem anymore. Your spirit is sealed like, like, a, like a Ziploc bag. Your spirit is sealed by the Holy Ghost. God sees you as blameless, spotless, your spirit. Our battle is not in the spirit, with our spirit man I'm talking about. Our battle is in the soul. Why? Wow, your soul is like... I don't know if I believe this. I don't know if I want to go to church on Wednesday night. I don't know if I want to hang out and read the Bible with a bunch of friends. I don't know if I want to not watch this and not watch that. I don't know if I want to avoid, you know, maybe tonight, you know, it's only once. Maybe tonight I want to get on the computer and start watching stuff that I got no business watching that's going to lead me down a path of destruction. That's your soul. You listening? That's your soul. Now, if you'll strengthen yourself with the word of God, then your soul receives the strength that it needs to say, oh, no, no, we're not going there tonight. We're going to side with the spirit man. You catching this? You remember God said in the very beginning of the book that he created us in his image and in his likeness, right? Man is created. We are spirit. We possess a Come on, guys, you got to pick this up or, you're not, or the devil's going to get over on you. You are spirit. You possess a soul and they live in a body. And God is, exists in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Tripart in nature, just like you and I. Tripart in nature. Are you getting this? Now may the God of wholeness himself sanctify you. May he set you apart for a special purpose completely, not just part of you, not just your spirit. Because all we did to get our spirit sanctified was say yes to Jesus. But now the soul involves, that's a place of, of decision-making. That's the place, watch us now, that's a place where faith is developed. Because faith is of the heart. And that's why Paul said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that's a decision-making place. That's a place that needs to be programmed. That's an ace, the place that needs to be renewed. That's the place that needs to be regenerated, our soul. So if, if we'll feed that part of us, then our soul will be so full of the will of God the promises of God, the nature of God, the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth, the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit who's here on earth to administrate the church. We'll get so full of that that it'll be very easy for our, for our soul not to go, no, 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 we're going with the Spirit tonight. We're going with the Spirit man. In this decision, we're going with the Spirit man. No, you're not going to go that way. No, you're not going to go out and, go, go out and get high. No, you're not going to go hang out with this one tonight because you know you're going to get in trouble. No, 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 you're going to side with the Spirit. You catching this? Honey, that's life in the promised land. Are you getting this? There's giants. There's great walls. There's enemies. Your soul knows that. And the weapons that we fight with, according to the scriptures, They're not carnal. 
They're powerless in you, but they're powerful in God. That's how you need to fight. You need to fight from the stance of your spirit. Empowering your soul to say no to the flesh. Why am I spending so much time in this? Because this is where we live every day. Every day, you're in the promised land. Every day, you're either going to face a giant, you're going to face an enemy who wants to destroy you. I'm not talking about people. Or you're going to face obstacles. Every single day. Some of, us, some of us today might have faced a Jericho wall. They said the walls of that city were so wide you could drive two chariots across the top, side by side. That, those are big walls. Big walls. They were no match for God's people, though. When God's people followed God's direction, those walls, they didn't fall down. They collapsed. They collapsed. Your walls that are standing before you are waiting to hear a shout from you. They are waiting to hear you praise God in the midst of chaos. They are, those walls, those giants, those enemies are waiting to hear the shout come out of your heart, declaring the will of God for your life, for your family, for your friends over your health, over your relationships, over your finances. They're waiting for you. Wake up, church. You're living in the promised land. You got it? Did you learn anything tonight? Stand up. I can't believe it's after eight already. Just like we did before, listen, don't be moving around yet. We're not dismissed. Lift one hand up to the Lord and just say this with me. Father, thank you that you have empowered me. Your spirit lives in me. And no matter what enemy, no matter what giant, no matter how big the walls are, you have empowered me. In fact, you call me more than a conqueror. Because you love me. Thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I am so blessed that you came out tonight. God bless you. Listen, if you need prayer for anything tonight, do not leave and take those problems back with you. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, I would not feel safe walking out those back doors unless you settle that issue tonight. Because we are not guaranteed to wake up tomorrow morning. That issue needs to get settled. I'm not trying to put fear in you. I'm trying to bring you to a place of soberness, of reality. Make your decision for Christ now. If you want to do that, you want to pray to receive Jesus, or maybe you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, come up here. We have people up here that will pray with you and pray for you. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming out tonight. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.